Amen. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Liberty Church today. And if you're watching online, we want to give you a very special welcome and uh, excited about you being a part of what God is doing right here in Arab, Alabama. And as we continue to enlarge uh, our reach uh, through our Holly Pond campus coming up in 2019, uh, we're very excited about that. And Jessica shared some awesome numbers this morning as God is showing up and showing out. Come on, let's give the Lord one more round of applause for what he's doing. Uh, let me just give you a, a special uh, announcement, and that is that next Sunday night, July the 15th at 5 p.m., uh, we're going to have a special Holly Pond Campus uh, interest team meeting. So if you are interested in being a part of that Holly Pond Campus, maybe you've already signed up to be a part of the Holly Pond Campus, or maybe you've been praying about or thinking about uh, whether you can be involved in that campus plant. If you are interested in any way, next Sunday night at 5 p.m., we're going to have a one-hour meeting, 60 minutes, come together. We're going to pray together. We're going to have just some time of strategy together uh, and just hopefully connect some dots, talk about some upcoming events that are going to be happening starting next month, August of, uh, of this year. In just a little over a month, we're going to begin to launch some small groups and do a big serve day in Holly Pond. And so there's a lot of little details coming, and we want you to get involved and be a part of that. Uh, so uh, we'll be announcing more of that across the whole church for everybody. But if you're interested in being uh, intimately involved as far as actually going to the Holly Pond campus, we would love for you to be here next Sunday night at 5 o'clock uh, for that meeting so we can just come together, begin to pray, begin to build just some camaraderie among our team, and really just strategize over what God has next for us uh, as we move to that next level. Well, today I'm excited uh, because we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Bittersweet, and uh, today we're going to begin to talk about how do we, how do we turn the trials of life into trophies of grace? How do we turn the trials of life into trophies of grace? Because how many of you understand uh, that life can be challenging? Anybody know that, right? If you've walked around this world for any amount of time, you've already figured that one out. And so one of the things we're going to look at today is we're going to just kind of lay a foundation stone for understanding how do we do that? How do we really uh, learn how to take the trials of life and turn them into trophies of grace that actually advance the kingdom of God? How do I go from being bitter to being sweet, right? Because I don't want to stay in a place of bitterness. I don't want to get stuck in bitterness. Because here's the reality. You can be bitter or you can get better, but you can't do both. Right? And you've got to make a decision. And I've got to make a decision. Am I going to get bitter? Am I going to become resentful and calloused and cold toward the things that God has really called me to do because of the hardships and challenges of life? Or am I going to get better Am I going to advance the kingdom of God? Am I going to grow and become the person God has called me to be? Because what we're going to recognize today is that God has entrusted his kingdom to us. I don't know about you, that's kind of a sobering thought to me. It kind of, kind of makes me a little bit nervous to think that God would entrust his kingdom to his people. That really is how he does it, right? God has entrusted his kingdom into our hearts and into our lives. And I even know that when the church arises, the kingdom of God advances. When the church arises, when men and women of God begin to rise up and begin to live the life God's called them to live, the kingdom of God advances, and all of a sudden we begin to move forward into what God has called us to do. So today we're going to look in Exodus chapter 1, and uh, if you've got your Bibles and you want to look there, let me just encourage you this morning, 
Uh, if you're not reading your Bible, read your Bible, amen? Uh, before you uh, get on Facebook, put your face in God's book, right? Uh, before you uh, spend time scrolling and, and Googling and all the stuff that we do, uh, make sure that you are spending time in the Word of God because God's Word is life, amen? It is a life-giving, life-changing, supernatural book that empowers and enables and equips us to live the life God has called us to live. And when you disconnect yourself from the Scriptures, you disconnect yourself from spiritual food, spiritual nourishment, spiritual meat and drink that enables you to do what God has called you to do. If you've ever done an extended fast, right, uh, then you understand sometimes fatigue begins to set in when you're not nourishing your body. When you don't feed yourself spiritually on the Word of God, uh, then all of a sudden there's going to be a spiritual fatigue. And how many of you understand that when you get fatigued, you become more susceptible to temptation? And I'm convinced that one of the reasons many Christians stumble and fall is because they become malnourished. And because I'm not being spiritually fed, and as much as I love to preach and teach the Word on Sundays, how I many you know one day a week is more, not enough for you to eat, right? I mean, let's just imagine, we said, okay, we're just going to eat one meal on Sunday and we're going to fast every meal for the rest of the week. All of you guys would revolt. Right, if I said, that's the new membership class at Liberty. You eat one meal on Sunday and then you don't eat anything else for the rest of the week. I mean, the membership would go down. But isn't it amazing that somehow we think we can spiritually survive with one meal a week? The reality is, is we need daily sustenance from the Word of God. We need daily sustenance from Scripture that's going to sustain us and nourish us and equip us and prepare us for the things that we need so that we don't become malnourished, so that we don't become spiritually fatigued, so that we don't become so susceptible to temptation that we easily fall into the traps and snares of the enemy. I mean, there is enough traps and snares of the enemy out there. We don't need to help him out by living in a place of spiritual fatigue and malnourishment. So I want to encourage you, spend time every day in the Word of God. And it's amazing, uh, just a small commitment every day of your life can make a big difference in what God can and will do as He nourishes your soul through the Word of the Lord. Amen? So Exodus chapter 1, we're going to read the story of the children of Israel and a time in their life where they began to come under the oppression of Egypt. One of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible is full of what's called types and shadows. And in the Old Testament, Egypt and Pharaoh are a type or a shadow, a picture of a world system, right? A world system that is being governed and ruled by the enemy. A world system that is being governed and ruled uh, by uh, Satan himself that is in opposition to the kingdom of God. How many of you know that we live in a world that is actually hostile to the kingdom of God? We live in a world that is hostile to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right? Our world loves to fuss and fight and argue and scream. <laughs> Manipulate through fear, intimidation, corruption, perversion. Right? You think about the world in which we live in. We have such a perverted world system that we literally have people today on planet Earth, kids starving to death and dying of malnourishment when there's enough food in the world to feed everybody, but yet somehow we can't distribute that food effectively and efficiently. Why? Because there's corruption and perversion in governmental systems and authorities that are keeping their own people in poverty and starving them to death. 
4.5 million people right now are in the world or in the sex trade industry. There are more slaves in the world today than at any other time in history. And it's 2018. Modern day America. But yet our world is set in opposition to the things of God. And you don't have to look very hard or very long to recognize that this world, right, this world system is under the sway of the evil one. And we're going to see that in Scripture in just a minute. And so in Exodus chapter 1, we're going to get an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. That we live in a world that is hostile to the things of God. And that there is a world system that is set in opposition to the things of God. And that if it opposes the things of God, then guess what? The world opposes the children of God. And that's me and you. Any children of God in the house today? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's read Exodus 1 because we're going to learn some awesome truth today on how, how do we go from bitter to sweet? How do we get better and not bitter in a world full of heartache and trial? The Bible says, in all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. And in time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. And eventually a new king came to power in Egypt to Pharaoh who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Now look at verse 9. And he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. Now look at verse 10. And we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Let me just say this to you. Satan's plan. If he can't keep you from getting saved, he, want to keep, he wants to keep you from growing in Christ. If he can't keep you from getting saved, that's his number one goal. He wants to take you to hell with himself. But if he can't drag you to hell with himself, he wants to keep you from growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knows that if you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, other people are going to get saved, other people are going to get set free, other people are going to get delivered, and the kingdom of God is going to advance. How many know that you can't be a healthy, growing Christian and not impact somebody else's life for the glory of God? So that's a good gut check because if you're not impacting somebody else's life for the glory of God, you've got to ask yourself, am I really a healthy, growing Christian? Because I believe that when we are healthy, growing Christians, when we are maturing and becoming what God has called us to be, our life has impact and our life has influence that affects other people and ultimately advances the kingdom of God and drives back the darkness that tries to rule and reign in our world. And so Satan's goal, once you come to Christ, is to keep you from growing. Look what he says. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Even more. For if we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us, and they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians, look at the plan. So here's Satan's plan for keeping you and I from growing and maturing and becoming what God has called us to be. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But look at verse 12. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, this is an awesome verse, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. 
That's a great verse because that verse tells us something. It gives us a revelation and insight. And here's that revelation and here's that insight. The oppression of the world does not dictate our growth and our maturity. In other words, the trials and tribulations of life can't keep you. The trials and tribulations of life cannot keep you from multiplying and growing and spreading out and advancing the kingdom of God. They can't keep you. The more they oppress them, the more they grew. The more they oppress them, the more they multiply. The more they oppress them, the more they spread out and the more they advance the kingdom of God. I want you to understand today, the only thing that can keep you from advancing and multiplying and growing and becoming the person God has called you to be is a heart that is no longer right with God. Once there's a disconnect in your heart, once there is a disconnect in your heart, there is a stifling of your growth and your maturity. And guess what? One of the greatest ways Satan creates a disconnect is through bitterness. He tries to make our lives bitter. Fill our hearts with resentment, judgment. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, our hearts will become calloused and cold to the things of God. See, what happens when you become bitter is you actually forget about everybody else and now it's all about you. Right? When you're bitter, all you can think about is your problem and your pain and your struggle and your issue and don't anybody care about what's happening to me? And what are you going to do to help me? And what are they going to do to help me? And why isn't somebody helping me? Because don't people understand how hard I've got it and how bad my life is? And don't anybody see how unjust and unfair my life is and all these things that have happened to me? And I've worked hard all my life, and now all this stuff is happening to me, and I've done the right thing over and over and over again, and is this how I get repaid? And now I can't believe nobody even is trying to help me out. Y'all ever heard that stuff? See, the devil uses bitterness because once you get bitter, you get selfish. Once you get bitter, you get self-focused and self-centered, and now it's all about you. Pastor Anthony told us last week, hey, sunshine, it's not about you. Right? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his kingdom, about his glory. And God wants to do something in you and through you that advances his kingdom. But you know what happens? If the devil can get you to be bitter, you stop getting better. And when you stop getting better, you stop advancing the kingdom. And you stop doing the things God has called you to do and all of a sudden your, your heart becomes callous and cold. And if we'll be really honest, I hate to confess this and admit this, but we've all had times in our lives where we've allowed the bitterness of life to callous our hearts. Or even though we, all, we know we ought to be loving those people and we ought to be reaching out to those people and we ought to be helping people, we actually kind of forget about people. Because boy, my life's hard. And I've been there and you've been there and we've all had seasons and times in our lives. The hope is we don't stay there very long, right? The hope is, is that we allow the Holy Spirit to keep our hearts tender and touchable and teachable and fresh and that we stay submitted to what God is wanting to do and we recognize, you know what, I don't have to allow the trials of life to turn my heart bitter toward God or against people. But the trials of life can actually produce trophies of grace that declare the sovereignty of God and give other people hope that there is real change and real life and real strength and real grace in a living God that loves them and cares about them and that we have the opportunity, the honor 
to be a catalyst of change through which other people can experience the awesomeness of our God. How amazing that is. How amazing that is. So the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and grew. Well, look at the next verse. So the Egyptians, verse 13, worked the people of Israel without mercy. And they made their lives bitter. Forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. And the last verse, last part of this verse says, and they were ruthless in all their demands. So look at that first point on your outline. How do we do it? How do we do it? How do we get better and not bitter through the trials and tribulations of life? How do we overcome the bitterness and the hardships and the trials and the tribulations of life? How do we get to a point where we refuse to be bitter and we choose to get better so we can grow and become the person God has called us to be and ultimately advance His kingdom as we become the people that God has called us to be? Well, I want you to look with me in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, 19 through 21 says this, For we know that we are children of God. Any children of God in the house today? If you don't know you're a child of God, you're probably not. You need to remedy that today, amen? You can cry out to the Lord today. You can accept Jesus today. Well, Pastor Keith, how do I know? Well, you'll know. Right? How do you know when the God of all the universe takes up residence in your house and in your heart and in your life? You know. Amen. You'll know. Dear children, look what he says. We know that we are children of God. And look at this next part. And that the whole world around us is under the control of the evil one. The whole world around us. King James says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world in which we live in because of sin... And selfishness is under the control of the evil one. We talked about it just a few minutes ago, right? It's not very hard to look at our world and realize, hey, God's, this is a powerful statement, not in control. Satan's in control. That's what the Bible just said, right? The whole world lies under the control of the evil one. Who's controlling this world system? The evil one is. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, who has blinded the eyes, the hearts and the minds and the eyes of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And you've got to understand that. I want to tell you something. If God was in control, earth would look like heaven. And heaven would come to earth. Hunger, pain, rape, molestation, child abuse, violence, Addiction, divorce, strife, discontention, hatred, jealousy, covetousness, that's not God. In Genesis, we see a world God created. It was perfect without sin, without fault, and without error. And Adam and Eve corrupted that world through sin. And Satan came in. And since Satan came in through Adam and Eve's sin, right now the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. One day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Wherein will dwell righteousness. And one day God will be in control over this earth. So guess how God reigns and rules in the earth through me and you? The church. 
the children of God become the vessels of God, the instruments of God, the tools of God through which God works in the earth to accomplish his will, his purpose, his plan, his love, and his life. That's why it's so crazy. People say stuff like this. It, it, it really, it's really not church. It's the kingdom. But people say, Pastor Keith, you know, I got out of church and bad things started happening. I got back in church and things started going better. Y'all ever, ever heard people say that? You ever said that yourself? You ever been there and done that? It's not really church. It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. That's what happens. When you start hanging around with people that are children of God, they actually love each other. They actually care for each other. They're not trying to get even with each other. They're not trying to stab each other in the back. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen in church because not everybody in church is following Jesus. But, but if you're following Jesus, how many of you know that's not really how you live in your life? You're not spiteful. You're not cruel. You're not mean. You're not trying to take advantage of people, right? If you've ever been through an encounter, you, you've heard me tell this to people. I tell this to every group that goes through an encounter. I'm a nice person. If you don't like me, I think something's wrong with you. Why? Because I want to help you. I actually care about people. And you know what? I'm not alone. That's, that's Christ in me. And I'm looking at a church full of people that actually care about people. And life is better when you're around people that care about people. And when you disconnect from people that care about people, guess what you get? You get the world. You get the world, you get flesh, and you get the devil. And that is the condition of our world, right? We live in a world that is under the control of the evil one. Now look at this next verse, verse 20, 1 John 5. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. That's an awesome statement. The Son of God has come. Jesus has come. Why? That he, and he has given us an understanding. Jesus has come. One of the reasons he came is to give us an understanding of the one true God. So let me interpret that verse this way. You can't understand who God is without Jesus. The only way you can know the one true God is you need a spiritual understanding. You need a revelation that only comes through embracing and accepting and acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Have you ever looked around the world today and wondered how crazy it is, how people can be so deceived? Do you realize that almost every terrorist attack that has ever taken place on planet Earth was done in the name of God? Those Muslims that are killing thousands of people are not doing it because they think they're wicked, evil people. They're doing it because they think they're serving their God. We got people worshiping trees and rocks. I mean, really. People worshiping trees and rocks. And you look at that, and I look at that as a Christian, I'm like, how in the world can that? That don't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. How in the world can anybody serve a God that's a tree? I mean, a rock. I mean, how can you in the name of God go and kill innocent little children? How in the world can anybody ever believe that was God? You know how they can believe it's God? Because without Jesus Christ, you don't have an understanding of the one true God. Apart from Christ, there is no spiritual understanding. Apart from Christ... People live under the sway and under the control of the evil one. And it is a manipulative, deceptive system that undermines and corrupts the hearts and the lives of men and women. And we got to understand that. Now look at the rest of this verse. 
Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Then in verse 21 he gives us a warning. So dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. I made the statement just a few moments ago that the only thing that can keep us from being from growing better and not bitter and from keep us from growing and becoming and multiplying is that our hearts would not be right with God. That's the only thing. The only thing that can keep you from growing and becoming and multiplying and reproducing the life of God and advancing the kingdom of God is that somewhere along the line your heart is not right with God. And he warns us here in this scripture to keep away from anything that might take God's place in our hearts. So how do we do it? How do we get better and not bitter in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life? Look at this next point on your outline. We have to understand. That understanding that the Bible talks about there in 1 John 5, 20, we have to understand, number one, the world that we're living in, and we have to understand the God that we serve. I'm convinced that there are so many Christians that don't understand God. And the reason I'm convinced of that is because I hear Christians blame God for so many things in their life. You ever heard this little statement? I just don't know why God is doing this to me. How many times have I heard Christians say that statement? I just don't know why God is doing this to me. So what we want to do today is we want to get a clear understanding of a world system that is in opposition to God, ruled by Satan, and the God that we serve, a God of love and life and liberty and freedom and truth. And we want to just compare them very clearly today. We want to get a picture-perfect image of our God, and we also want to get a clear image of the world in which we're living in, and we want to rightly decide and discern between them. Why? Because if I want to get bitter and not better, I mean, if I want to get better and not bitter, let's flip that over, right? I don't want to get bitter and not better. If I want to get better and not bitter, I've got to recognize the hand that is at work in my life. Because if I start blaming God for what's not God, I'll become bitter. And here's what's crazy. When you get bitter at God, you get bitter at people. And you become resentful, and you become calloused, and you become cold. So today we're going to look in Exodus chapter 1, and we're just going to do some comparison today. Is that all right? So I want you to see some distinction here between the world and between God. Look at that first point. So the world wants to make you a slave. The world wants to enslave you. The Bible said there in Exodus chapter 1, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. The world wants to enslave you, to bring you into a place of bondage, to bring you under an oppression of the enemy so that you are now being manipulated and controlled by the hand of darkness. And how does the devil do that? Well, how does the world do that? Really through sin, through selfishness, through self-centeredness, through bitterness, through resentment. Any way in, right? Satan wants to enslave you. 
Think about the things that enslave us as Americans. Let's talk about debt for a minute. Somebody said, let's not. <laughs> Don't you love those credit card commercials? Get the credit you deserve. You deserve. You deserve a big house payment. You deserve a big car payment. You deserve credit card debt so big you can't see your way out. Get the credit you deserve. How many of you know we live in a world system that is in opposition? The Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. Debt is not a good idea. And debt is not God's idea. Debt enslaves you. And we live in an American culture that is enslaved by debt. And I'm guilty, and you're probably guilty. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've got out of it. We're working out of it, praise God. Because we realize it's not good, and it's not God. Why? Because it enslaves us. It enslaves us. And we have a whole world system right now that paints all these pictures and you're not important unless you live in this kind of house and you're not significant unless you drive this kind of car and you're not important unless you wear these kind of clothes and you got to have this kind of gadget and this kind of this and this kind of that and you got to look like this and act like this and dress like this. And we have been enslaved by a consumer mentality that has sucked us in to a place of bondage. All kind of slavery. You know what? You can be enslaved by poverty. And you can be enslaved by prosperity. I've seen people that are so bound by their poverty, they can't think of anybody else, anybody else but themselves. They can never advance the kingdom of God because they're so centered and so self-focused. I've met people that are so prosperous, they can't think about anything but their money and their wealth and how we're going to get more of what I got. The world wants to enslave you. But guess what? God doesn't want you to be a slave. God wants you to be a son. A son and a daughter in the Most High God. He wants you to be a son in his family. Look what Galatians 4 verse 6 says. Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. God wants to adopt you. The world wants to enslave you. God wants to adopt you. Think about that for a minute. The world wants to bring you into its house and put you to work and let you be its slave. God wants to bring you into his house, adopt you as a son, and raise you up to be who you've been called to be. That's what God has for you. You're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. John 8, 35 says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. The world will enslave you, but God will adopt you into his family. Amen? The world is brutal. Look what the Bible said there. It said that they appointed brutal slave drivers over them. The word brutal literally means violent. Last year, 1.2 million violent crimes happened in America. 1.2 million violent crimes. We live in a violent world. Domestic abuse husbands against wives, parents against children, children against parents, students against students. It's unbelievable what happens in our world today. We live in a brutal, violent world. But you know what? God's not brutal. God's gentle. God's gentle. Hosea 11.4 says, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. 
and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. With gentle cords, with bands of love, God draws us to himself. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. How many know gentleness is not weakness? God's not weak, he's gentle. God's a man of war. But how many of you know there's a difference between how a soldier fights his enemy and how a man should treat his family? When you're at war, there's violence. But when you're at home, there should be gentleness. The world is brutal. We got all kinds of crazy things happening. I want you to understand if you have endured violence, if you have grown up in a violent home, that's not God. I don't care if your parents went to church every Sunday. If they came home and screamed and yelled and beat you and beat each other, that's not God. I don't care if they confessed to be a Christian, that's not God. I don't care if they read their Bibles, that's not God. God is not this violent, angry man in heaven that's looking for an excuse to slap you and knock you down. That is the world and the world system that is in opposition to God. God is gentle. And he wants to draw us unto himself with cords of love. Look at that next point. The world drives us, but God leads us. The Bible says they appointed brutal uh, masters over them that would drive them. In John chapter 10, the Bible says this, Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. The world drives you. It'll drive you by fear, intimidation, worry, anxiety. You ever been in that point where you felt driven to make a decision? I got to do something, I got to do something, I got to do something. And how many you know when you get to that point where you are driven by worry, anxiety, and fear, you almost always make the wrong choice. Almost always make the wrong choice. That's not God. God is not an evil taskmaster behind you with a whip. Saying, read your Bible and pray and go to church. That's not God. I meet so many Christians that live in condemnation. They read their Bible because they feel condemned if they don't. That's not God. God's not condemning you into obedience. God is leading you into obedience. Did you hear what the scripture said? As a good shepherd, he goes before you and calls you to come after him. He is leading the way. Not driving you through fear or worry or insecurity. Anytime you feel driven, you're being manipulated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, I just got to do something. No, you don't. Just be still and know that he is God. He will be exalted above the nations, the Bible says. I found out sometimes the thing you can do to make the devil the maddest is just sit back and say, I ain't doing anything. I ain't going to make a decision right now. God, until I get your peace, until I feel the leadership of the Holy Spirit, until I get confirmation from heaven that, Lord, this is what you want me to do, I ain't making a decision. I'm not making a choice. I'm not rushing into thing, any, anything. I'm not buying anything. I'm not saying anything. I'm not doing anything. 
and you want to frustrate the devil, just be still. And refuse to be driven and choose only to be led by the good shepherd. Amen? Look at that next point. The world wears you down. The scripture says that they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. You learn a lot when you talk to people. And you know what I found out about most people in America? We're busy. And we're worn out. We're just running, 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 right? We got this idea if our kids aren't playing 45 sports and somehow they're going to miss out on something. If we don't have something to do every single night of the week, then we're going to miss out on something. If we're not going and doing and running and going and doing and running and going and doing and running and running and going and doing, then there must be something wrong with us because everybody else is on social media and they're posting all this cool stuff they're doing and I'm not doing anything cool. I'm just hanging out at home having a family dinner, building relationships with my kids and we actually like each other. But the world will wear you out. And I mean, I know, we get on that little merry-go-round. It's more like, I don't know, it's like a merry-go-round on steroids. <laughs> Things spinning like 100 miles. Let me just say this to you. If you are always physically, mostly, and mentally exhausted, you are not in the will of God. God's not trying to wear you out. God's trying to lift you up. God's trying to elevate you to a place that you can begin to make righteous decisions led by his spirit and led by his peace, not worn out, running yourself ragged, just trying to squeeze in the next best thing. And then guess what happens? When something that God wants you to do comes along, you're so tired you can't even do it. And let's just be honest. Let's think about this. Let's be real honest. When you help somebody and you do something the Lord's told you to do, you walk away from that feeling so good. You walk away, I mean, you just shared the gospel or you helped somebody that was in need or you did something you knew the Lord was prompting you to do and you did it and you walk away every time you walk away from that feeling better than you ever feel. You feel better after that moment than after 10 hours of overtime and the money you're going to make. So you volunteer and work all that overtime and then all you do when you get your paycheck is gripe and complain about how much Uncle Sam took. You don't even enjoy it. But you're wore out. God doesn't want to wear you out. God wants to lift you up. Our lives get dusty and dirty. God wants to lift us up out of the muck and mire, the fast-paced routine that we live our lives in, and walk in peace with Him. The next thing I want you to see is the world oppresses us. The Bible says they oppress them. The word oppression means to bring into slavery, to put under a heavy burden. Man, life begins to happen to people, and that's when we throw that little, I don't know why God's doing this to me. That's not God. The world wants to weigh you down, but God wants to free you. Look what the Bible says. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. You're free indeed. God wants to free you, not oppress you. Not put you under a heavy burden. Not live under guilt and shame and condemnation. Free you. That's God. The world wants you to be bitter. 
Right? The Bible says that they made the uh, Israelites' lives bitter with hard labor. God wants you to get better. Ephesians 5, uh, 4, 15 and 16 says this, But instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work and helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Healthy, growing, and full of love. Sounds like God wants you to get better, healthy, growing, full of love, not bitter. The world will try to embitter you. Hard things happen. Horrible things happen. The world is ruthless. The Bible says they were ruthless in their labor. But God is gracious. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. God wants to give you more than enough. He's not ruthless, he's gracious. I mean, think about it. How many times have you been in situations where you walked away and you thought, I can't handle anymore, I can't handle anymore, I can't handle anymore, and somehow you handled more? You know what that is? That's the grace of God being made perfect in your weakness. The world was trying to oppress you and wear you out and wear you down and beat you down, and God gave grace to you. Every time tragedy strikes, people lose loved ones, unexpected deaths, the deaths of a child. You know what you'll see every time? You'll see the grace of God. In the most horrible, unimaginable circumstances of life, God gives grace to people. What should have destroyed them doesn't destroy them. What should have taken them out didn't take them out. And you know what? If we all look at our lives, we can recognize, man, you know what? There's been grace on us. I don't know how I got through it, but by the grace of God, we survived. Our last point, here it is. The first step in overcoming bitterness is to stop blaming God. To realize that God's trying to save you and not destroy you. God's not against you, He's for you. The world and the world system is trying to take you out, but God is fighting for you. And when you look at that list of things, I hope you take that list home. And I hope you just stick it up on the refrigerator or put it in your Bible or somewhere you're going to see it every day. And I want you to just remember, when one of those things on the left column happens, that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. When one of those things on the right side happens, that's God and His glory. And when you stop blaming God for what the world's trying to do to you, you can embrace God and find His grace and strength to be sufficient to get you through. You can get better instead of getting bitter because God's for you and not against you. God is for you and not against you. Let's just bow our heads in prayer today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe when I asked a while ago, are you a child of God? You couldn't raise your hand. You couldn't shout out with confidence that you're a child of God. But right now you say, you know what, Pastor Keith? Maybe I've been blaming God. Maybe I've been mad at God. But maybe today you realize all those things you've been mad about isn't God at all. God's not against you. God's for you. God's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to save you and draw you into a place of salvation to adopt you as his son or his daughter. 
And today you can trust him. You can trust him because he's good. Life isn't good, but God's good. And you can put your faith in him today. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to become a child of God. I want you to stand to your feet when I say the number three, okay? And then we're going to pray together this morning a real simple prayer. And Jesus Christ is going to become the Lord of your life. And all of a sudden, your eyes are going to be open and your heart is going to be changed. And you're going to become a brand new person that quick. One, God died for you. Sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice for your sin. Two, nothing can separate you from that love except your own willingness to reject it. Three, if you stand right now, you can pray and accept Christ. Just a simple act of faith all over this building. I want to stand and accept Christ. I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. If you're watching my uh, video today, we want to encourage you. Let's just pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. You're for me and not against me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I choose by faith to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day in the Lord. You are dismissed. If you're visiting with us today, please stop by our first-time guest area in the back. In the cafe, we've got a gift we'd love to give to you today. God bless you. We love you.